Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast and then thought, man, I just, I don't even know where to begin. Well, I have the perfect answer for you. It's Anchor. They have all the tools you need to get started right away, all in one spot. You can do it from your phone or your computer. They'll even distribute for you, so you don't have to go looking for places to get your podcast out. But the best part is it's all free. That's right. You can sign up today without any hassle at all. You can even start making money right from the beginning. It's everything you need in a podcast in one place. So check it out today. Go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. But I'm going to just go ahead and invite uh, Jay Schiffman up to share his story. So let's give it up for Jay. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. It's a special episode. This might be, maybe, <laughs> there might be one more. This might be the last special episode of season one. So if it is, celebration. If it's not, it's cool. We're still going to love it anyway. This episode was originally recorded a couple months ago. It came out in early September. It's with Ali West, who's the host of the Kinetic Fitness Show. He lives in England, so don't be surprised by the accent. And we chatted all things mental and physical health. Really wonderful conversation. Ali's a great guy. He's doing some really cool work. And, you know, I don't choose every interview as a special episode. I haven't counted, but there's like six or seven this season, if that. No, probably like six, five. I don't know. But I've done over 50 interviews this year. So that tells you it is the you know top 10% that go out as special episodes. And it should say something how, how much I enjoyed this conversation. So enjoy that real quick before this goes out. Tomorrow is election day. Now, obviously, this year has been a little different. We have all been voting for a month. Um, I voted, you know, a month ago. But here's the thing. Tomorrow is the official day. We've all been preparing what we did, what we're doing tomorrow, right? We've all been making our plans, whatever the case is. I want to implore you to make a plan for November 4th. Let me tell you why. To quote Israel McCullough, who's a, a guy that I follow on Instagram who I really like, he said, Yes, make plans to vote on November 3rd, but also know where you'll stand on November 4th, because no matter what the results are, we have work to do. For those that aren't sure where I, where I stand personally, like that would really surprise me, but okay. I fully support voting out the fascist regime <laughs> that has made it very clear that given the chance, they'd be a dictatorship. That's not like an assumption. That's not like, a, oh, I think he means, no, no, no. Trump has literally said he wants to be a president for life, so, you know, vote that bigoted motherfucker out. That being said, on the three topics that I cover here, the three topics that are most important to me, mental health, substance misuse and recovery, and drug use, Joe Biden is awful. Joe Biden is worse than awful. Joe Biden is terrible. Joe Biden is one of the main reasons that two generations of black and brown Americans are sitting in jail while Chet and <clears throat> Hunter get to go to treatment. So vote, 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 and then protest. Because remember, it took our elected leaders a month to add another person to their roles in Amy Coney Barrett. 
but they haven't passed any legislation to help the rest of us during a global pandemic that has killed millions since March. So if you think voting is the answer, I honestly don't know what to tell you. But still vote, and then protest. Alright, without further ado, enjoy this special episode. Y'all know that I love CBD, and almost since day one of this podcast, I've been lucky enough to be sponsored by Mountain Maid. And while my wife and I swear by their full-spectrum CBD chewables, sometimes at the end of the day, I need just a little bit more to help me relax. So when my wife is joining me, I pull out a Mountain Maid puff, and those are awesome. But when it's just me, I, they're just a little bit more than what I'm looking for. So what do I do? I throw a couple of hits from Boston Empire into my bowl, and it's the perfect way to end the day. Boston Empire has the finest loose leaf CBD flower and some pretty cool edibles too. So when I add it to everything I'm using from Mountain May, it is the perfect compliment. If you check out Boston Empire using the link in my show notes or my podcast website, you will be helping out the podcast as well as getting some of the finest CBD flower on the market. So check it out today. Hey Jay, welcome to the Kinetic Fitness Show podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. As, uh, as I was mentioning to you before the show, it's my, one of my favorite things is to talk to people about these issues, especially in, in other countries, because uh, you know they're so important and, and meeting other people who care so deeply about them, it, it really makes my day. So thank you for having me. 100%. It's my pleasure. And it's, uh, it's areas and topics and subject matters that I've been wanting to discuss and and put across on this podcast for a while. So I'm glad that I've managed to, to pin you down, to get you on the show. And I'm, I'm excited to, to discuss these, these areas with you. But before we do that, would you be able to give myself and uh, the listeners a little bit of a backstory about you, who you are, where you're from, um, how you help people, and then we will go from there and, and get stuck into this episode. Definitely. And, and, you know, again, thanks so much for having me. It, it's, I live these topics and, and I mean that um, both as the fact that I, I work in this and, and my work is my life, but also in the fact that I have lived experience with, with mental health and substance misuse. I, uh, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, over here in the States and uh, growing up in a really fantastic uh, environment. My parents are both very loving and I'm the oldest of four, four boys. But when I was a preteen, I was diagnosed with ADHD as many, many young men, especially, but young women as well are um and, and unfortunately we know that the that the the medication for these uh for that treatment comes with some side effects and, and that was known back when i was a kid as well we're talking the, the mid 90s it wasn't as acted upon back then i'll say it that way and when i started developing some side effects to this medication my therapist called it bipolar disorder instead of saying oh maybe these are some side effects and uh that misdiagnosis would turn into being over-medicated for both of these issues, developing a uh, uh, extreme addiction to my prescription pills. And by the time I was in my early 20s, I was severely misusing every single one of these pills I was on, including also uh, a lot of other substances as well. Uh, at 23, I uh, attempted suicide twice. I overdosed, ended up in a lockdown facility, and then finally in a long-term care facility, what we used to call a mental institution, 
And it was there that I finally discovered uh, what I had sort of maybe considered for a long time. And that was that I was misdiagnosed. Um, I discovered that by meeting people with actual bipolar disorder and people with substance misuse issues. And I started to realize, oh man, like I know what those people with the substance misuse issues are going through. I recognize that I don't recognize this experience of people with, with mood disorders. Um, and it was there that I decided to get off all medication, uh, which I did uh, by checking myself out and going to Sedona, Arizona, a, a little hideaway town in uh, Arizona and in, in the, the west of here in the United States, where I lived with my grandparents for four months, uh, went through detox, and uh, finally restarted my life. Uh, I've been in recovery now for 10 years. Uh, I've been working in this field and speaking out publicly about it for five. And now I uh, serve as a, a speaker, a public speaker, a, a coach. I work with individuals. Uh, I consult with businesses about these topics, and I have my own podcast, the Choose Your Struggle podcast, where we talk about issues of substance misuse, mental health, and drug use. That was a fast, fast story. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> well, I, I have the, the 50, actually, I have the 30-minute version, which is one of the speeches I give, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, when I'm on podcasts like this, you know, my story is great. I, I, I'm not going to minimize it because it is a story of victory. It's a story of overcoming some odds. But at the end of the day, the most important part of my story is the conversations it starts. And, mm. and that's what, you know, I, I love doing on these podcasts. So anytime that I take to tell, talk about my story, it makes me think, you know, okay, well, this isn't really about me. This is about this much bigger issue of, of issues of substance misuse and mental health. So, you know, I, I try to get it through it as, as quick as possible. Yeah. So start off by telling myself and the listeners some of the the struggles and the, the issues that you were having because of this misdiagnosis, because your story is maybe very different to some others that I've heard um, in the fact that it was a misdiagnosis that kind of was the catalyst to set all of this in motion. So what sort of things were you going through? What was you experiencing? What did you have to overcome to get out the other side, really? Definitely. So uh, you're 100% right. And when I tell this story, I get that exactly what you said a lot. And it's not that my story is that unique. It's just not the one we hear that often, right? And when I speak, I, I mention that I say, look, my story isn't the one that we heard with Nancy Reagan's, you know, just say no or dare videos. I didn't start misusing substances after a friend passed me a joint underneath the bleachers in seventh grade gym class, you know, that that wasn't how this worked. Uh, nor was it the one that we're hearing on all of our headlines right now, which is the opioid epidemic, the crisis around uh, overprescriptions there. So those are the two that have really dominated the airwaves. And there are a lot of other stories underneath that, mine included, uh, that just don't get talked about that often. And unfortunately, uh, I, I've seen that firsthand, not just by living it, but when I started speaking out about my story, I had two other young men from my graduating class, which was a very small class. I went to a private school. My class only had 85 people. And two people reached out to me and said, my story is almost identical to yours. And what was so startling about that is we were all in the same math class in 11th grade. And so we were all going through a very similar struggle and none of us knew the other ones were suffering the way we were. So uh, I, I think it is very startling. That, that really startled me because it said just how strong and just how uh, common this sort of occurrence was. And yet we weren't talking about it. And that was one of the catalysts for me to, to do what I do now. 
Um, in terms of the actual implications of what was happening to me, I like to think of it as like, look, I, I have struggled with these issues most of my life. I've had depression. Uh, I've struggled with depression since I was a young age. I've had OCD my whole life. I've struggled with anxiety. And these things are all manageable. I mean, a lot of people struggle with these things and, and, and they're, they're almost, they've almost become common. What these prescriptions did to me was they took these underlying issues uh, and they poured gasoline on it and they exploded. And so instead of just struggling with sort of, you know, some depression that I needed to work on or some low level anxiety, all of a sudden that was who I was. And, you know, uh, we've all seen those uh, caricatures of people who struggle with OCD. And that, that's never really been me. I mean, mine is, is, you know, it's more nuanced than that, I think is the best way to put it. But when I was on these, these chemicals, when my brain, which by the way, a young developing brain, like we all remember what puberty was like, right? So you take that and you add high levels of chemicals to it, of course there's going to be side effects. And for me, it, you know, mine just was way heightened because of some of these things I was already struggling with. So it, it sort of turned me into a, a, a caricature of all of these uh, individual uh, diagnoses. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I want to just touch as well on the, the fact that you attempted to, com to, to take your own life to commit suicide. Yeah. And this is, um, this is an area as well that I don't think gets spoken about enough, but just go more. And I don't, I know we're going to talk about other things as well. And I don't want to make it, all about your story we're going to touch on other things as well but I'm, I'm intrigued myself and i know the listeners will be just touch on like what state you was in that as, as a whole human being so i'm talking physically mentally spiritually emotionally you could say like to get to that point where you thought that this is this is it that what was you going through and explain it so we can understand it more effectively 100 and and by the way, I want to thank you real quick for, for, for prefacing it the way you did, that this is a subject that isn't talked about enough and, and you couldn't be more right. Um, there's a, a guy in this industry that I love a lot named Frank King, and uh, he's, he calls himself the mental health comedian. He is a, a former writer for Jay Leno, who now tours as a, as a suicide awareness speaker. And uh, he and I have chatted a couple of times. I had him on the podcast. I was on his and he calls it the double whammy because even people in the mental health industry are hesitant to talk about suicide, mostly because there's this outdated idea that if we talk about it, it'll teach people how to do it, which is, I mean, when you, when you say that out loud, it sounds foolish. And yet that is a thing that a lot of people believe. So um, I, I fully agree with them. We need to be talking about this more. I personally, where I was at the time, you know, you have to remember that at this point, I'm 23 years old, and I've been now told for over five or six years that I have a very serious issue of mental health called bipolar disorder. Uh, and, and what was startling for me was I was on all these pills. I mean, I was carrying so many pills around every day that I, I, went, I went through JFK Airport on my way to the Middle East with a bunch of friends. I got pulled out of line at TSA and searched because I had so many pills in my backpack that they could not believe that I wasn't a drug dealer. They said, wow. there's just no way. And I had to like show them that all the pills had my name on it. You know, I had to talk them through what I did every day. They could not believe. And that should have been a sign for me. It wasn't, but it should have been. That's how many pills I was taking every day. And they weren't making me better. 
And mm -hmm. so now after five or six years of increasing amounts of medication, of trying new things, because I, like I said, it wasn't getting better. I hit a point where I just went, this is never going to get better. And part of that was that I was living with a bunch of people who I considered close friends. And in reality, they weren't bad people. In fact, most of them were very, very good people. But we were the only thing we had in common is we were all struggling with substance misuse together. So there was like 10, 11 of us living in this house. And we would just use together from morning to night because we all had different drugs around. So that was the sort of situation I was in. And I had just gotten back from following a band that I really loved around the country to like four or five different music festivals. I was exhausted. I had, you know, I wasn't eating well. I wasn't sleeping well. I had spent this month living out of my car, just driving around, going to these different music festivals and also using a lot of drugs as I always did. And I got home and I just crashed. And, and you know, it sort of all dawned on me that here I was at 23 uh, I, I wasn't accomplishing the things that I thought I should be. I, I wasn't, I was estranged from most of my family and my friends because substance misuse has the, the unique ability in, in terms of diseases to actually drive your friends and family away instead of pulling them around you like most other uh, issues of mental health or, or, or health at all do. And uh, I just said that was done. I, I dumped out what I thought would be a lethal dosage of some of these pills and called a friend as a living suicide note to tell her what I was going to do. And, and uh, that was it for me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, well, the, the best thing I can say about that is that you're here telling the tale. <laughs> and, and I was super lucky in that respect that, I, I, so I attempted suicide twice in two days. And it's because the first day I called the friend and she kept me on the phone and texted a couple of other friends of mine who rushed over and stopped me. But the next night I learned from that mistake and I took the pills first and then called the same friend. And this time she called 911. Uh, and, and I don't remember much because I overdosed that night, but I do remember being thrown in the backseat of a cop car and spending the night handcuffed to a bed at a hospital. And again, super lucky that I made it through. I mean, you know, I, I two two suicide attempts and and, and a uh, an overdose in the span of forty eight hours should spell, you know, the end. And uh, luckily for me, for whatever reason, the equation was on my side that time. Definitely. So you've got this um, hashtag behind you, and <laughs> and also I mentioned right at the start of that piece, there's that people have this stigma around a lot of these issues, substance misuse, substance abuse, suicide, depression, mental health, anxiety, all these kind of things. There's, this, there's still now, even in 2020, there's still this kind of stigma around all of these issues. And you've got that hashtag there and the stigma. Yeah. What's the reason? Why do you think that there is this stigma? But not just why, how can we get out the other side and how can we drop the stigma and the stigma and move forward and, and help people that are, that are struggling. And obviously without going into the whole COVID thing, we're in, we're, we've come out of this period or we we might be coming out of it. We might be going back into it, this <laughs> lockdown of, of the world being a completely different place. So there are a lot of people that, and there might be some people listening to this that are in that situation that are struggling, that are not in the best place. So how can we, why is it a stigma and how can we, how can we get rid of it? 
Well, again, thank you for for asking that question. And I do a lot of these, um, you know, as you know, when you're in this world, sort of, we have a, a great community of people who do podcasts and shows and we all, we all go on each other's shows. So I do these a lot and I don't often get asked the why question. I get asked a lot, what can we do about it? And that's incredibly important, but understanding why is the first step to, to making real change. So there's sort of two answers there. And, and number one, when question it comes to, I ask that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, when, so when it comes to substance misuse, right, you actually have to take it first back to substance use. And that's just drugs. We have a stigma around drugs. And, and this goes back in, in the US uh, over 100 years, where our drug laws and our drug policies and our, our views on drugs are 100% unequivocally based in racism. And, and there is so, I mean, there is so much proof that it, it, it almost feels silly to try to explain why, because a lot of it is, it, they didn't even hide it, right? Perfect example, and I'll start with, with one of the earlier laws. In the 1910s in the US, a law was passed against um, opium, not the kind that was used in medicine at the time, because that was still a common thing, but the kind that was smoked. It was the exact same opium, just the way it was presented was different. And the reason they passed it, and it's in the bill, they, they didn't hide it, they said it right there in the bill, we are outlawing smoking opium because the Chinese are the ones doing this. It was flat out in the law. So that becomes the, the basis of a lot of drug uh, views on drug culture in the U.S. You know, you take it through the, the 30s and 40s where marijuana and uh, heroin were viewed as negative because of the jazz scene in the U.S. And then it turns into the hippies in the 60s and Richard Nixon's famous you know, war on drugs that are just still going on. Uh, you know, his top advisor in the 90s gave an interview not long before he died saying, look, we couldn't make it illegal to be black. We couldn't make it illegal to be a hippie. We couldn't make it illegal to use the drugs that those groups enjoyed. And so in doing so, turn the, the attention of America and against these groups and make them the others. I mean, flat out, he says this. So that is why drug use is stigma the way that it is today. So the, the reason that, that substance misuse still has a stigma is that it's seen as a moral failing because only bad people, quote unquote, use drugs, which we all know isn't true because most of us have tried drugs. Most of us use different forms of substances in, in one way or another. And the idea of addiction being a negative thing is only in context. If you take it away from drugs or substances, period, you know, people who are addicted to working out. We see those people as someone worthy of emulating when the idea is, yeah, working out is incredible. I'm going to the gym today, I did it yesterday. It's a good thing for us. But when it becomes an unhealthy thing, that's just as bad for you as you know what we would say is over drinking or anything like that. Anything in over moderation is not a good thing. And yet people who work out a lot, we look, we look at the rock who spends most of his days in the gym. We go, yeah, that guy is awesome. Well, yeah, he, he's doing a lot of awesome things, but maybe he has an unhealthy uh, relationship with the gym. So I think that needs to be said is that it really is in context. When it comes to something other than substances, we don't look at addiction as a negative thing. It's only when they're using things that we don't like. Uh, so that's number one. And then number two with mental health, it, it's sort of the same thing we have this fear 
uh, of the of the mind in the way that it could go wrong. When, when our body breaks down, we can see it. We can understand it, right? We all know if you break your leg, well, this is what happens and this is how you get fixed. But if your mind is going bad, that is terrifying because none of us really know what to do about that or how to fix it. And we're still in the wild west when it comes to the mind. We're learning new things every day, but we are a long way from understanding the mind to the extent that we do the body. And so when someone's mental health starts to falter in a way that is scary to us, there is that there but the grace of God go I feeling of, well, you know, we don't really understand what's happening. Yeah, we understand it in, in basic terms. Well, their, their chemicals are off in their brain, but we don't know why that happens for a lot of people. And for, for us, we're sitting over here going, please don't let that happen to me. Please don't let that happen to me. So it's easier for us, and a lot of this is subconscious, we don't choose to do this, but it's easier for us to say, okay, that person is different from me. I will never have to experience that. And instead of recognizing that person is struggling with a health issue the same way I am. And you know, if you're going through cancer, if you're going through any of these other giant diseases that are terrorizing a lot of people, it is no different than someone struggling with their mental health. It's just scarier to us. Mm. So ultimately, boxing things up in different boxes and labeling things in certain ways is not helping the situation. It rarely does, especially now. No, it's, it's definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like these ones over here are okay, but these ones aren't. That's, that's right. And, and we do that with a lot of things, you know, and this is not just the U S we as people are very black and white thinkers and, and it, it harms us always. It's never a good thing when we think in black and white terms. And we all do this from time to time, but when it comes to these issues that should be seen on a spectrum, but instead are seen in, in different camps in black and white, you know, this is good. This is bad. It's very easy to label somebody bad that isn't that different from you. And, and I'll, I'll give a very quick scientific uh, study on this. Recently, there was an article in Psychology Today about how doctors are starting to treat people with what they call borderline personality disorder, which is essentially on that mental health spectrum. They're not quite in the category of being labeled bipolar or something like that, but they clearly are struggling with some kind of issue of mental health in the personality disorder spectrum they're starting to treat them no differently than they do people with bipolar. Because what they finally realize is if this person has 99% of the qualifications of someone who's struggling with bipolar, but they're missing that final piece that would knock them over the line, why would we treat that any different than if they had one percentage point more of what we're looking for in a qualification? So again, it's that black and white thinking that was keeping a lot of people from getting the treatment that they deserved. And now they've started saying, you know what, that's ridiculous. If you're anywhere in this spectrum, we're going to treat you as if you have, you know, what's going on here. Mm. What's the solution? What's the, what's the how to get around the stigma? So you've, we, you spoke about why and why these viewpoints and these thoughts and these belief systems are ingrained into people, but how do we, how do we get off it or get away from it? I mean, there's a couple of things that sprung, sprung to my mind, as you said, those last, well, that last section. And the first one was, I want to ask you like, what's your views on legalizing or changing the laws around some of these substances? That was one thing that I wanted to ask you. And the second one is, and I kind of know the answer, but I want to get your view on it is, why aren't our health practitioners, our doctors, our therapists um, prescribing the stuff that we know that can help them like meditation, exercise, 
movement, eating good nutrition, grounding, fresh air, vitamin D, the list goes on, all the things that nature can give us. They were two things that like sprung to my mind whilst you were speaking. So I, if you could touch on them as well, that'd be amazing. Definitely. So three, we, we could do an entire episode and some on, on this, this subject alone. And this is why I do a lot of what I do is the, the idea of stigma is so foolish to me. You know what I mean? Like this idea that we just shouldn't talk about it and things will get better or whatever. Like that's never happened ever in the history of the world. Not talking about something has never helped it. So I just, it's why I do what I do is it's get up here. And, and that's my answer for number one, by the way, is telling our stories and normalizing conversations around issues of mental health and substance misuse is the easiest way to start breaking down stigma. And we've seen it with other things as well. And I'll give you a perfect example that our generation knows full well, and that is sex ed. Before our generation, it was basically abstinence only sex ed, right? Don't have sex and everything will be fine. No, kids are gonna have sex, teenagers are gonna have sex. If we don't teach them about safe ways to do it, they're just gonna have unsafe sex. So we started teaching safer sex ed and lo and behold, you know, teenage pregnancies dropped. Like who would have thought? So that's number one is, is just talking about these things in an honest way. And I mean honest because a lot of times when parents talk to their kids about drugs, it's basically, oh, drugs are bad. Well, if you tell that to a kid and they try it and they love it, what do you think they're going to do? So mm -hmm. instead, we need to have honest conversations where it's like, look, let me tell you about my experiences. I had no idea what my parents, you know, their drug history before I really started using. And then we started talking about it. But if we have these honest conversations, the, the good, the bad, you know, my experience with substance misuse, that is a way to help your child understand that not only are these things good in times and bad in times, but that they can talk to you. If they have questions, if they are struggling, you know, I never thought I could talk to my parents about what I was going through, not because they were bad parents, I love them very much, but because this was an issue that was always drilled into me is bad, drug use is bad. So if, that, if that's your idea, if there's this stigma around it, you know, there's no way that we can actually have these honest conversations. So that's number one, is just talking about it, telling our stories and advocating for other people to do so. Um, as far as your question about, you know, why, our legalization versus um, decriminalization, that's sort of the big one that's going on in the industry right now is which is first and which is the ultimate goal. Uh, for your listeners very quickly, decriminalization means the thing is not legal. It's not like you can walk down the street and buy it in a shop like you can with some uh, with, with medical marijuana or legal marijuana here in a lot of the states. But it also means that if you get caught with it, you're not going to jail, you know, and that's currently how it is with a lot of drugs here in the US at least. So that's usually seen as the first step is decriminalizing. Um, and what we've realized is that criminalization of drug use has gotten us nowhere. Uh, there's been a lot of studies that have shown that, that drug use has continued to grow at the rates they expected, if not higher, since the war on drugs began back in the 70s here in the US. What that shows you is the only thing criminalizing drug use has done is destroyed entire generations of mostly black and brown Americans and almost 100% poor Americans. You know, for me example, I got arrested for marijuana use and in intent to sell and all that kind of stuff when I was a freshman in college. You know what happened? I got a lawyer. I paid for a lawyer who got it, you know, got me out of jail, got everything off my record. Everything was fine. That's not the case for poor Americans. That's not the case for black and brown Americans who end up having their entire lives destroyed over a small bag of marijuana, which is just ridiculous. So decriminalization is the number one step.
Legalization is an ideal that would be wonderful. Um, I think that we're seeing with places like Portugal that it can happen. Uh, and I'm sorry, in Portugal, I believe they decriminalized, they didn't legalize everything. They, they, like, they, in Portugal, they've decriminalized every every right. classification of, 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 of drug, but not legalized, as far as to my knowledge. Right. I have read into this, and I'm pretty sure every every drug in Portugal is decriminalized. And since that, again, uh, I'd ask all the, the listeners to do their own research, and for you as well, Jay, to check it out. But as far as I know, crime rates in relation to drug-related crime has gone down ever since they did that. And they did it a long time ago, as far as I can make out. I think it was like, it might have been like 2009 or something, like quite a long time ago. So it's been like that in Portugal for a while. That's right. And, and you're right. Thank you for, for correcting me. They have not legalized. What I was thinking of is Amsterdam, where some drugs are legal. Um, and, and, and it's been more of a mixed bag in Portugal, which you're completely correct. The decriminalization there has led to a extreme drop in crime around the issues of substance misuse and substances, period. So um, I do think that this is one that we are sort of breaking new frontiers around. And unfortunately, what we've seen a lot of is that the U.S. is the sort of um, a lighthouse on this issue. And as long as the U.S. continues to see all drugs as bad, there are a lot of countries that are following suit. And, and rightly or wrongly, the U.S. on a lot of issues is sort of the big name in the room. And, and as long as we are on the wrong side of this, you're not going to see as much movement as should happen, despite the fact that there have been countless uh, leaders around the, around the world uh, who have pushed the U.N. to do the opposite and sort of come out against a lot of what the U.S. has been doing as far as substances. So uh, I, I do think that that's going to be sort of the next frontier is seeing this change on a global scale. Um, and we're already seeing some of that. Mexico has been a leading voice on uh, cannabis research and, and decriminalization of cannabis for a long time. Not saying they don't have their own issues, obviously, but, but being outspoken on this issue, they've had former presidents uh, come out against what the U.S. has been doing as far as drug laws. So uh, really interesting stuff happening on the world scale when it comes to substance misuse. As far as the, the question around why aren't therapists recommending some of the more holistic and um, common sense ideas around how to treat some of these issues. Uh, the answer is flat out money. I mean, it's just just uh, that simple. I it's money. <laughs> yeah, um, it, you know, a lot. Of, so I'll, I'll give this kind of two ways from my own perspective, but also from what I've seen by talking to clients. I am not a PhD. I, I never want to replace a therapist. I think that many therapists are very good at what they do. Um, when I tell my clients, you know, that we're going to work, and this is how we're going to work together, I relate it to this. I am to your therapist as your personal trainer is to your doctor, right? If you go to the gym and you tell your, your personal trainer that your back is hurting or you think you may have you know, broken your leg, your trainer is going to say, dude, go to the doctor. Why are you talking to me about this? But if you go to your doctor and say, hey, doc, you know, what should I lift in the gym tonight? Hopefully the doctor is going to go, I have no idea. Why are you asking me this? Right. So for a long time, there hasn't been that relationship. Uh, therapists have been everything. Right. They've been you know, they've been forced to talk about 
extreme issues of mental health, which is what they're good at for the most part. Um, a lot of them are sort of general practitioners. They don't really specialize in anything. Um, you know, I personally was, was working with a very wonderful therapist and when I wanted to start doing some trauma work, it really wasn't going well. And I finally said, hey, uh, hey doc, I don't think this is working. And he said, I'm so glad you said that. I, I really don't know enough about trauma to help you in this. Maybe you should go see a trauma specialist. And, and that's what we did. And, and, you know, but I'm glad I spoke up and it wasn't his fault. He is just because of where his industry is, he's been forced to do too much, right? It's as if right now we're going to our proctologist to ask them to clean our teeth. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, we shouldn't be forcing them to do everything. And so we need more people in the mental health space who are willing to advocate for things exactly like you said. And that's, again, what I do with my coaching. We work on the stuff that is, quite frankly, shouldn't be the things you're working on with your therapist. You should be working with your therapist on the really heavy things. That's what they're good at. If you're asking them about mindfulness, about meditation, about journaling, about spending time outdoors, about getting good exercise to free up some brain space, you're not using your time with them well. And you're also really only tipping, you know, getting the tip of the iceberg. So we need more people in these spaces to advocate for these ideas, to free up therapists to really focus on what they're good at. Mm. What I want to touch on off the back of what you just said is two things. The first one is... I think in a lot of industries, scientific, medical, my industry, which is health and fitness, and um, also the holistic industries, is there's still like this element of ego. So it's like, I can't refer it to this person. I don't want to step on their toes or vice versa. And to some extent, we need to let that go because if we're together as, a, as, as an organized unit, we can help that individual more effectively rather than, well, I don't know how to do that or I or attempting to do it when you don't know because your ego is getting in the way. So that was one thing I think that um, needed to be mentioned. We the, the need some more, more integrated work and it is happening. And the other thing that I wanted to say was that I do think this will happen over the next few years is we will see some system shifts some system changes. I mean, we're already seeing them and economical shifts as well that will, will change a lot of, uh, this of these issues of, of, of the substances and the drugs that are, and all of that area I think will be changed by the shifts we're seeing in, in, in systems in economics and in society as well couldn't agree more and, and, and I love it the ego piece is so huge and I think it shows up in a couple of ways um, I mean you hit the, the nail on the head on, on people sort of being afraid to say this isn't this isn't really you know what I'm great at I can't you know I don't want to recommend somebody uh, else because you know whatever and I think it, it, it comes from fear you know uh, I get this a lot again I, I am very outspoken on these issues and I do a lot of my work on LinkedIn mostly because I think we need to be talking about these issues in the workplace and I think that because we spend so much of our time with our coworkers. you know yes our family and our friends should be the ones that know us really well and can be looking out if our mental health is struggling but if you're struggling at work, you need to be able to feel comfortable about talking with these, about these issues with your coworkers. And so when I post on LinkedIn, I get a lot of pushback from people, mostly with PhDs, who essentially are saying, you have no right to be doing this work. And they say that because they've spent, you know, decade and a half, 20 years, 30 years, whatever, researching and, and working on this. And, and 
there's almost a fear of them going, well, if he can do this without doing all this, did I really need to do all of that research? And in the, at the end of the day, the answer is you can study all of this as hard as you did. And we need you to do that because that's how we discover new methods. And that's how we make these giant strides towards better treatment. But at the end of the day, you can't study your way into understanding what it feels like to live with this. You know, I did that. And by the way, you shouldn't want to. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you should also exclude me from the table. It means we all need to be doing this work together. So that's always my pushback on them is I'm not trying to replace you. I'm trying to work with you. And if your idea is get out of my sandbox, it just shows fear on your part. So yeah, when we're losing thousands of people every year, I mean, millions across the globe to substance abuse uh, issues, to suicide, there is no room for my way or the highway thinking. We all need to be working on this thing together. Yeah, definitely. And that goes across the board on, on a lot of subject areas and topics and issues. It, it, it's, it's all about working together. And I think we have nailed it between us that it is that it's the money, it's the power struggle, it's the ego, it's the um, fear. Those are the, the things that are preventing us from from moving forward and moving together as oneness, as unity and, and eliminating, well, not necessarily eliminating, but at least reducing a lot of, uh, a lot of these issues. It's, that's, that's what it's all about. And I want to give you two examples of this as well for yourself and the listeners um, about the first one's about cross referring and knowing when it's not your place. Um, I had a client a couple of years ago, he was in doing a personal training session with me he was like, he didn't do anything strenuous, just a few lifts. And he was like, oh, I've got pain in my chest. I'm not feeling too good. And if I let my ego get involved, it could have been, oh, do a few stretches and you'll be okay. But I knew that it was something else because he wasn't doing anything strenuous and he had a pain in his chest. I was like, look, you need to go and just get checked out. Like after this session, put yourself into the doctor or go to the hospital and get checked out. He did as he was told, went and basically he, within uh, 24 hours of him going into the hospital to get checked he was in having open heart surgery and basically i saved his life by referring wow. him to a um, to a doctor um, yeah. so this is what i mean about how we need to work together if it's not your i'm all i'm all for like crossing lanes and helping and 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 um, trying to support people but if you know flat out that you cannot help that person and you don't have the skill set then push them on yeah. And the second thing I wanted to mention was that it's great about what you're saying about putting across your experience and your expertise and your story, because yes, you can have all the bits of paper in the world, but if you've not lived it, sometimes it, you can't explain it from that, that perspective and that point of view. So I think it's great to tell your stories, to share your stories, because ultimately what do we relate to and what do we um, respond to on the deepest level it's stories that's how we can about how our brains work and how we've evolved to to interact with things so the stories are going to help um progress us forward and help people understand these issues and also deal with them in a more effective way i i couldn't agree more and, and it's why you know i always accept every opportunity to tell my story unless let me actually let me rephrase that i don't accept every opportunity I accept every opportunity if I think I'm the right person for that, for that opportunity. And a uh, perfect example was just last week, somebody reached out to me and said, um, you know, I'm the, I'm the organizer of a group for young black and brown Americans, um, basically a club. And I want to do a presentation on mental health. I would love to bring you in. 
And, and I re responded with, you know, I really, for, for, by the way, I really appreciate it. And, and I would love to, would you mind if I recommended someone they may identify with more as someone who is not, you know, black or brown and who was never poor. Um, and the person said, sure. And, and, and I recommended someone I thought was a better fit. And, um, you know, that guy got the gig and it's, it's coming up and I respect that person a lot, which is why I recommended him in the first place. I wouldn't recommend someone that I didn't trust, but obviously recommended him. So, you know, I, yeah, I missed a, what could have been a very nice payday, but that's not, that's not why I do this. And at the end of the day, if I'm not the right fit, you know, thank you for reaching out, but I will help you find the right fit that can actually have the impact that you're looking to have. So um, the telling your story piece is incredibly important, uh, but we also need to be making sure that ours is the right story because, mm. you know, mine isn't one that a lot of people, that, that everyone can identify with. Um, I think there are parts of it that, that most people can but, but there are other people that will fit an opportunity better than me. And, you know, that's something that I do, whether it's coaching or speaking, is that if I'm not the right fit for you, I will guarantee you that I can help you find the right person. Yeah, definitely. And I think that ultimately shows, well, it shows two things. It shows integrity and it also shows courage as well, because a lot of people may also have that fear of, oh, I don't want to pass it on to someone else because I risk losing credibility or money or whatever the case may be so definitely shows integrity and courage okay i'm conscious of the time so i want to touch on some of the techniques and methodologies you use when you're helping people so obviously one of your big things is going around sharing your story sharing your messages through podcasting through public speaking etc but when you're helping somebody or you're trying to support that individual what's some of the techniques methodologies you use to help them with with mental health with uh, all of these things we've been talking about today yeah, definitely. So uh, you're, you're right that a lot of what we've talked about is sort of the big picture stuff. But when it comes to the actual one-on-one uh, -on -one or, or me with a group, a lot of what I, I advocate is, you know, from little things you can do in your life, which is sort of still big picture, but more action items, things like being vulnerable, being open, uh, breaking down this idea that that to, to fail in some way is a sign of weakness. And, and it's just, it's so harmful because it, it makes people not take risks. And it, it also has people walking around in fear. So, so those are sort of bigger picture things that I talk about with groups, but particularly with, with individuals, when I'm doing coaching work, you know, we focus a lot on, uh, I mean, mindfulness is a huge piece, but that's sort of a big buzzword at this point, right? So, you know, we do talk about meditation, but at the end of the day, meditation is difficult for a lot of people. And while it's a, it's a wonderful tool, and I love when my, when my clients can find the benefit uh, of mindfulness from meditation, there are other ways that are a little bit easier, a little bit more attainable for people. So, Number one, I have people uh, decide how they're going to do mindful practices. And I come with a whole list of different ways that people can um, and, and making sure they're doing at least one or two of those every day to help someone get more in touch with themselves. Uh, I, I, I often describe it as our, our subconscious and our conscious minds. They're like a garden. And if you don't know what's growing there, you'd be surprised at some of the weeds that, that blossom up. Right. So um, understanding a way to get down into your subconscious and, and, and knowing what's going on down there is, is key. And, and I think everyone should be doing this, regardless of if you think you're struggling or not. I just think it's a really helpful thing to learn about yourself more. 
So that's number one. And then also uh, number two is sort of understanding a little bit more about the ways our brains work. And that's especially important if it's someone who's currently struggling with a substance misuse issue. You know, yes, it's important to, to get off uh, or, or, or to stop using these substances in such a harmful way. But as someone else that I worked with described it, if you focus on the substances themselves, that's like focusing on the, 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 the marks on your skin when you have chicken pox. Yes, we can cover over the marks and then call yourself better, but that's not how it works. You need to understand the disease that's going on underneath the skin. So when it comes to substance misuse, it's understanding the ways that our brains are, are wired and why we're chasing what we're chasing in the substance use. So it's talking with somebody about what it, it, being mindful and what they are searching for when they use substances, and also finding other ways to achieve some of that release of, of dopamine and 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 um, undercover undercovering happiness in in their brain. So everything from personal affirmations. Um, philanthropy is a big part of what I teach and it, it doesn't have to be, you know, thousand dollar gifts or anything like that, but it can be little things like, um, you know, uh, little, little acts of philanthropy, like paying for the person behind you in line um, in, in Starbucks or something like that. And it's, you do these little actions and they start to reinforce a belief in yourself that you are a good person. And, and by doing that, you can change the way you view yourself with a lot of work. Obviously I'm making it sound very easy, um, and, and so it's sort of just a broad spectrum of understanding yourself as a person and uh, changing the way that you talk to yourself and changing the way that you see yourself to help achieve uh, a more, I, I always, I always struggle with, with, with using the word actualize, but that's really what we're all going for, right? Is that we want to be a more fulfilled person. And the way to do that is, is as I boil it down to is choose your struggle. And that means knowing what you want out of life, knowing the goals you want to achieve and making sure you are actualizing your, your life on that path. Because at the end of the day, if we're chasing somebody else's ideas of success, whether it's you know society as a whole, or maybe mom or dad, if they were really heavy handed in our upbringing, we're never gonna be fulfilled and we're never gonna find that happiness that it will be elusive to us our entire lives. So it's, it's a lot of sort of ground, getting back down to ground level and understanding who you are as a person and then rebuilding yourself up from there. Yeah, doing the deep work, that's what I said. Yeah, that's yep. what it uh, ultimately boils down to, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, and, and I also think, by the way, this is something that is not unique. I think this is something that's universal in the idea that we're not taught these things, right? I mean, you know, we have physical education class growing up. And like we were saying earlier, you may have health class, which teaches you about sex ed and what we put in our body and all that kind of stuff. But we don't spend time talking about ideas like empathy, like vulnerability, like um, these mental health uh, pillars of who we are. And, and then we expect people just to know how to do these things. And, and it's, it's, it's silly and it's sad. And it's why we have so many people who are struggling with these ideas. We need to be teaching people from an early age that the idea is to be the best person you can be and the happiest person you can be. And all the other stuff will come with it. But if we're continuing to teach that the goal of life is to be successful by society's terms, which is getting straight A's and get, making a lot of money and doing all these things that don't actually bring you happiness. We're just going to keep producing miserable people. Mm. Yeah, that, that just rewinds back to what I was saying earlier. I think we, I do think we're going to see some shifts. I think we're going to see some changes, uh, global changes that are 
I'd like to believe are going to take us in the right direction. I, I think we're we're going to see a lot more of a a harmonious, uh, unified planet. I'd like to think, um, and that's what you said there about we were not taught any of this thing. I nearly said it earlier, and I don't want to go political or anything, but just I feel like this it is a bit of a setup. We we need these system changes for us to thrive because we're set up. We're almost set up to fail at the moment, or, or and this is why we're having these these problems and these issues. Um, I do think things are going to change and get better, but it needs to be a, a deeper, deeper rooted change, in my opinion, in my personal opinion. I, man, I couldn't agree more. You know, we've got a lot of really ugly. Uh, um, you know, we, it, our our garden is not clean at the moment, and we we've got a lot of things that we got to tear down to the root and, and mm -hmm. sort of replant if we want this to go in a better direction. You know, there are a lot of weeds growing and yet people want to keep working with the garden that we were given. And it's like, I mean, yeah, we can make incremental changes, but if you're not willing to get down to the root and tear out the, the horribleness that's down there, we're not going to make the wholesale change that we need. And it's a lot easier to do that. It's a lot easier to just keep picking up, up at the, you know, that sort of top of leaves and, well, it's going to get better if we just tear this one up. No, you got to get down to the bottom, do the hard work and, and put it in now or, or nothing's ever going to get better. Completely agree. Completely agree. What would you say then is your biggest life lesson to date? What's the one thing that you'd say that this is, this has been the biggest lesson the biggest maybe wake up call for you? I know that's a very difficult question to maybe answer, but I just wanted to like, throw that out there and see what, see what you say. <laughs> no, not at all. And I think I sort of, I've got a bigger thing that ties in two things together. And that is, I've mentioned choose your struggle, but let me kind of break that down a little bit more. When I was at my worst, I really didn't get to choose what I struggled for. Right. My, my struggle was to get off the couch, to avoid withdrawals, to, to be a human being. That's when I was struggling with my addiction, but now I get to choose again. And, and it's helped teach me that, we aren't, we as people are often in the same position I was in when I was struggling with addiction, which is we're not choosing, right? We're letting, like I said, either mom and dad or society or whatever choose for us. And it leads to us not being happy, not being fulfilled, not being actualized. So that's number one, is we have to make sure we're choosing what we are going for and, and what we want to struggle for with our lives. But number two, it sort of ties into that is we as people let fear dominate us a lot. And we've talked a lot about fear, whether it's fear of losing your status or, or money or whatever the case is. And I, for five years after I entered recovery, I let fear of losing my status high, uh, keep me from, from talking about being in recovery in these issues of mental health and substance misuse. And I had a buddy who, who runs an organization that, that does storytelling and he wanted me to tell my story and it would have been a, a big deal. Um, you know, these are, these are, I'm talking about 150, 200 people, whatever the case is, hearing these stories. Right. And he knew I was in recovery, but I was always saying, no, 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 I don't want to do it. So one day after he asked me for the third time, I was at home having dinner with my parents and I told my dad that I had this opportunity and, and he uh, was like, well, why wouldn't you do it? And, and I said, cause I'm scared. I don't want people to know. And he just looked at me and he's like, fear is never a good reason not to do something. And then he went back to reading the paper as if he didn't realize he'd just blown my entire world up. So 
I, the next day I went to my buddy and I was like, all right, ask me again. He asked me, I said, yes. And I told my story and it launched me on this career that I'm now on five years later. That one night, I mean, that one night of my dad telling me that I was being an idiot launched this career I'm on. So it all ties together. We are scared of doing something different. We're scared of questioning these things that are deeply ingrained in us. We're scared of trying to be the change. And, and it keeps us from making these uh, real changes that need to happen both for society, but also for our lives and for us to be happy. So at the end of the day, choose your struggle and realize that fear is never a good reason not to do something. Love it. Absolutely love it. Let's finish this podcast then, Jay, with firstly, what can the listeners do immediately after this podcast to make changes? So let's say somebody is listening to this and they are struggling, or maybe they're not even struggling, but they want to make some changes and move forward. If you had to give somebody listening one to two pieces of advice, what would they be right off the bat? Yeah, hundred percent. So number one, I never leave a, uh, whether it's a speaking gig or an interview without saying this one message and that is reach out. There is the, the days of suffering and silence are over and it's because there are enough of us who want to talk about these issues. So when I was going through my worst, I didn't tell anybody. It was because I didn't know that people wanted to talk about it. Now we don't have that excuse because we're talking about this all the time. So there's a saying that we have in this industry and that is we would rather spend two hours talking to you tomorrow than a, two hours attending your funeral the next day. Reach out. If you are struggling, reach out. It can be to me. It can be to our amazing host here. It doesn't matter. You have somebody in your life who wants to hear from you. So reach out and, and someone will be there. Whether it's just to validate your bullshit, that's fine. I mean, we will do that. The, the, the thing is, you just cannot struggle in silence. So that's number one. Number two, if you're not currently feeling that way, you can still do things to, to better actualize your life and to find more happiness. Do mindfulness practices. If you want to learn about some, reach out to one of us. I mean, they're everywhere. You know, meditation is great, but it's not the only one. There are a lot of good mindfulness practices and you will be shocked at the things you uncover if you do some, some mindfulness stuff. So definitely spend some time getting to know yourself better. Sit with the things that come up because continuing to hide from them, it's not going to get you anywhere. Perfect. Great advice. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll second that. If anybody needs any help or just a shoulder to cry on or anyone to speak to, just reach out to us. And that, that's not no monetary exchange involved, just, just somebody to speak to or, or somebody to hear or listen, then reach out to either of us. And, and if you don't want to reach out to us too, there's plenty of people out there that will listen to you and will help you. So don't hesitate to do that. And yeah. don't be scared to do it. We spoke a lot about fear. Don't be scared. Couldn't agree more. Okay, Jay, where can the listeners go to find out more about you and what you do and how you help people? Well, you can find the Choose Your Struggle podcast everywhere you get your podcast. You can find me at my website, jayshifman.com, J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N.com. And I'm on all of your social medias at either Choose Your Struggle or Jay Schiffman. So search for those and uh, let's chat. I mean it. Reach out. I want to hear from you. These, these topics are incredibly important and we all need to be talking about them together. Perfect. I've loved that. I've loved the show. I've loved this episode. It's been super powerful. Can you just end the show and this podcast with a favorite quote? This can be one of your own, something you live by, something from somebody else. Just hit us with a favorite quote to end the show. 
Definitely. So uh, I, one of the, the quotes I used the first time I ever spoke publicly was uh, Nietzsche, who said, he who has a reason to live can bear anyhow. And that is essentially choose what you're going to struggle for and the rest of it will fall into place. Love it, my man. Thank you so much. You have a blessed day. Y'all know him as the superstar stand-up and blockbuster actor, but did you know that Kevin Hart is also a New York Times bestselling author? And he's back with his second book, The Decision, Overcoming Today's BS for Tomorrow's Success. And you can get it today on Audible. Just for signing up, they're going to give you two free audiobooks and a select free Audible original to get started. So go to the link in my show notes and sign up for Audible today. 